0: of you who've been with us the past few weeks, you know that I have started a series on storm stories is the, call, is the title of the series. And, and for the past two weeks, this will be the third we've been talking about the storms of life. The first week we talked about why do storms strike and looked at some that are self-inflicted and natural calamities that living in a sin-tainted world and some that are direct attack of Satan. And last week we talked about being steady in the storm, and how Jesus told us that in these days storms would come so we should not be shocked when they arrive. And I would encourage you, if you haven't had a chance to hear those messages, rather than repeating all of the points, that you would go to the church website and click on the media button, and and all of our messages on Sunday morning are are there, and you can uh, upload them, download them, whichever loading way they go, and you can listen to them. Today I want to spend a few minutes of talking to you about bringing purpose to the storms of life. Bringing purpose to the storms of life. I want to talk to you about how you can really experience the power of God, the purpose of God, and the presence of God in the stormy times of your life. As a human being, you're going to have storms in your life, but the difference is is that for Christians, for those of us who are underneath the banner of the hand of God, we recognize that when we go through storms, God is generally trying to show us something or to teach us something or to demonstrate something of His nature that is different than before or greater than before. We know that there are no random events in the life of the child of God. And this morning, we're going to begin to learn a little bit about what Jesus wanted to teach some disciples in a storm that they went to. And I'm going to ask that you would turn in your Bibles, you can, you can turn to Matthew chapter 14 and... And as you turn to it, let me give you a little bit of the context of what was happening before I I jump into this message, because I think it's important that we, we not take things out of context, but that we begin to see the whole context. As you begin to look at the beginning of the chapter, you will notice that news had just reached Jesus of the beheading of John the Baptist. In the aftermath of that news, he got into a boat because he wanted to go somewhere to be by himself. He needed to begin just to think about things and to pray and seek the Father. And so the Bible tells us that he escaped to a private place. Have any of you ever had days where the news is so difficult you just want to escape to a private place? Jesus was exactly the same. Unfortunately, when Jesus goes to a private place and people find out he's in a private place, it becomes a public place. Because people follow him, and the Scripture indicates to us that when people discovered where he was going, that a huge crowd was waiting on him when he arrived. The crowd is described as having 5,000 men plus women and children, so the possibility exists that there were 15,000 people waiting on him when he sought to be alone. Can you imagine? I was thinking about that. If we had 15,000 people that wanted to attend our church, it would take us 30 consecutive services to get them all done in a day. This is how many people were waiting on Jesus. The Bible tells us that even though he was tired and even though he was emotionally going through the loss of a dear loved one, that he stood there all day and he taught them and he healed the sick and he had compassion on them. And now it is late in the afternoon. So what he hoped was going to be a day of escape turned into a day of public ministry. And now 15,000 people's stomachs are growling. And they're beginning to get hungry, and the disciples, with all of their great faith, looked at them and said, Jesus, send them home. There's no way that we can feed them. And he says, don't send them home, you feed them. And the scripture begins to describe how he asked them to go through and look for food, and you all know the story, if you've read the Bible at all, that what they discovered was that there was one boy that had some fish and some loaves. Now, I believe, honestly, that the moment they begin to go look for food in the crowd, people ate what they had. That's our nature. It's when somebody stood and said, hey, we're going to gather food. People are stuffing their face. I've got nothing left. But one little boy was not quick as everybody else. And so they brought that to Jesus, and we know that he stood with that little boy's lunch and, and uh, asked God to bless it, and he broke it. And then he had the disciples go out and begin to feed what could be as many as 15,000 people that what a little boy brought his little fish turned out to be Shamu the whale. It was an amazing scene. And in John chapter 6, verse 15, the Scripture says, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. In other words, what was happening in the middle of the disciples going out and feeding everybody is people are thinking, hey, this Jesus is better than the king that we have. He heals the sick. He feeds us when we're hungry. He has compassion on us. He's a great teacher. Since he has the ability to turn nothing into everything, let's make him the king. And as the disciples are handing out all of this stuff to them, they're hearing the murmuring going on, and in their mind, they're going, yeah, that's a good idea because look who he's going to have as the cabinet. If they make him king, we are in great position to have authority in his kingdom because they yet did not fully understand all the reasons that Jesus was coming. And it says Jesus, knowing that they intended to do this, withdrew himself again to a mountain by himself to pray. But what happened during this time is that after the disciples were hearing all of this, Jesus made them do something that was contrary to what they wanted to do. Now, I laugh at this because I feel in my life maybe you guys are far more obedient To to God than I am, but there seems to be a lot of times that God makes me do something that I didn't intend on doing. Has that ever happened to any of you? And it ends up that when we walk in what he wants us to do, it always turns out better than what our plans were in the first place. But this event that we are going to be reading in Matthew is also recorded in Mark and John in different ways, and so we put these together and we can learn something about this. And there are five observations that I would like to make very quickly this morning about storms and our life. The first is this. God is aware of and allows your storms. God is aware of and allows your storms. Turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 14. I want to begin with verses 22 through 24. And I hope that you have a highlighter with you or something that you can begin to underline some of the words of the Scripture that is going to make this clear to you. The Bible says, immediately... Now, this is immediately after everybody's been fed, immediately after the disciples are hearing the murmuring, immediately after they are feeling great, people are talking about a kingdom, they're going to have a position. Immediately after that, Jesus made, do you see that word made? He made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. They didn't want to go. Jesus is having a popularity contest. His poll numbers are off the charts. They wanted to be there. Jesus goes, no, 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 no. You get in the boat and go to the other side. And so while he made them get in the boat and go to the other side, he dismisses the crowd. Now the disciples are thinking, this is not fair because we want to be seen with him. He's riling them all up. He's making plans, and we're missing out on all of this. But he's dismissed them. And then it says, after he dismissed the crowd, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was alone. The boat was already a considerable distance from the land, and it says it was buffeted by waves because the wind was against it. Now, as you begin to look at this, you begin to see that immediately the disciples were engulfed in a negative life situation. How many of you have ever experienced a negative life situation? They are in one of these, and it's all because Jesus made them get into a boat. Now, for some of you today, just like it is outside, there's sprinkling going on in your life. It's not a sunshiny time of your life, there's a little sprinkling. For some of you, it's a downright downpour into your life, and some of you are in the middle of a thunderstorm of great magnitude within your life. It's a massive life storm, and you don't know what you're going to do. The storm that's described for us in Scripture is one where the wind is blowing one wave, wave, the waves are going another way, and it is so difficult for them to get any traction at all that Mark describes the account as being so bad that the oars of the boat were useless. In other words, the waves are so high the oars sometimes couldn't even reach the water. They literally are floundering around out there. And the waves and the wind were stronger than their ability to move forward in it. And these are experienced seamen that are being talked about here. And so the scripture tells us Jesus made them get in a boat and we are left with the conclusion this is something they didn't want to do but Jesus intended for them to do it and he sent them in a boat to the other side and he sent them right into a storm. The question is, Why is it so important for us to recognize the attention to detail that Jesus made them get into a boat? And how many of you believe that Jesus knew that the storm was out there? Now this goes against some of our ability as Christians to think that when we come to Christ that Jesus is going to take care of everything, and that there's never going to be any problems. The moment I come to Christ, it's smooth sailing. It's a walk through the garden, and it's just all great. I want you to know something. The Scripture indicates that that is an erroneous view of the walk with Christ. Talked last week that he says in the last days, there are going to be turbulent times, stormy times. We are in some of those times. But what we don't often think about is that there are storms in our life that Jesus sends us into for the purpose of developing something in us that would never have been developed any other ways. This storm that these men were in was the will of God for them. And being in the will of God does not mean that we will never have obstacles in our life because there are times when to teach us things, the Lord allows trials to come. In fact, in James chapter 1, verse 2, it says this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Now, I'm going to tell you, in this series that we're doing, I'm going to be covering a lot of verses that are not my favorites in the Bible. This is another one of those that is not my favorite verse in the Bible, However, it probably is one that most of us that have lived for God for any length of time have run to more often than not because we want to know that in the middle of the difficult times of our life that God is doing something in us that will make us better when we're done than when we got started. And so he begins to address our mood. He goes, here's the mood that you're supposed to have. Consider it pure joy. I don't even know if that's possible. Sometimes we can muster a smile. How's life going? Good. I'm doing okay. But the Lord says that when we have a full understanding of how he's working within our life, that it elevates our mood, that regardless of what's going on on the outside, what's going on on the inside is hallelujah. He's, he remembers me. He's developing me. Something good is going on with me because he is testing my faith. And so clearly... The purpose behind many of the trials that we face is God is producing something in us that would never have been able to be produced any other way. And then we read in the scripture that says in Matthew 14, 25. Now, in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them. Now, the fourth watch would be somewhere between the area of 3 o'clock in the morning and 6 o'clock in the morning. So before dawn... Jesus comes off the mountainside where he's been alone praying and he begins to take a walk on the lake toward them. Now, why did Jesus clearly make them go to the other side when Jesus fully knew a storm was coming? Because that's where the trials are. Sometimes he's going to lead you to places where the trials are and you're not going to understand why. But... Trials by their very nature when Jesus leads you into them are there to test to see if what you really believe is the same as what you tell everybody you believe. To see if what you really believe is what you tell everybody you believe. That's called tests. Really good teachers give you information and then they test you to see if you really know your stuff. Jesus makes the disciples that he loves with all of his heart get into a boat row three miles out into a storm it's harder for them than their natural strength and ability can overcome and in the middle of that he's testing them to see if what they really believe about him is what they tell everybody that they were giving food to that they believed about him he was testing to see if they really believe that they can obey when it's not convenient If they trust him in a situation that their own abilities are not enough and will they sink thinking that he does not care about them when they don't know that he's on the way to rescue. Because just a few hours ago they were back serving the crowd miracle happy meals that Jesus had provided. Everything was great and they go from absolute joy to absolute fear in a matter of hours. But did they learn about Jesus when they were with him. Jesus had just demonstrated the greatest illustrated lesson to them that they could ever learn by feeding 5,000 or more people from one lunch. They distributed the food. They saw him heal people and very well may have participated in some of that themselves. And now he puts their knowledge of him to the test and he puts them in a place where they have to see, do what I really believe fit. If your theology of God only works when times are good, you have a faulty theology. I've often said this to our missionaries and stuff. American theology, to really be tested, if it doesn't work in the rest of the world, then it's not alive and real for us. There are, there are people that proclaim things about Christ and prosperity and, and super faith and things that I don't believe can preach that same message where people are going through trials and tribulations. And if it won't pass the world test, then we need to make sure that what we believe about, about the word is true. And some of that comes through testing. The second thing we recognize is God encourages us in the storm. Verse 25 says, During the watch... That night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Now, let me paint this picture for you. This is not a calm lake. Now, when I picture Jesus, you think that every step he takes, it's just really nice and calm, and he's walking on a glass-covered lake. I mean, he's walking in the storm. There's a storm in. Jesus is in. And the good news about that for us is that any storm that you're in, you need to recognize that Jesus is capable of walking in it with you. It's not too big for him. He has the ability to walk right in the middle of everything you're going through and keep it underneath his feet as he walks out to where you are. It's a storm that Jesus is walking in. Howling wind, lightning flashing, thunder exploding, rain being driven like pellets into the skin. And in the middle of this, Jesus walks out to them in their storm and in their conditions. The disciples in the middle of this thought that they had been left alone. The thought was that Jesus is on a mountain somewhere by himself up there and he's praying for himself or he's praying by himself and we are here fighting for our lives. And haven't you felt that way before? In the middle of a storm and you're going, where are you now, Jesus? Now that I need you, where are you? You must be on some mountaintop somewhere. And here I am in the storm and you don't even know what's going on in my life. But Jesus was not on the mountaintop. He had already been there and he had prayed for them. He was on the way to speak to them because he had already talked to the Father about the storm that they were in. Hebrews 4.15 says, we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He knows what's going on in your life. Jesus knew it was necessary for the disciples to learn the lesson that they needed to pass the test so that they could move forward. Now, in the middle of this boat, in the middle of this storm, the scripture tells us that when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, that they were terrified. It's a ghost, they cried out in fear. I, I look at this and I, I, number one, think, what would cause them to associate Jesus walking on the water as a ghost unless his very appearance in the middle of a storm distorted their view? There are times in our life where the storms we're in distorts our view of what's going on around us. It begins to affect our perspective. How many of you have talked to people in the middle of storms and you're thinking, they're not even speaking right? They're not even thinking right. Uh, They don't see a perspective. They are so engulfed in what's going on. And and the disciples who knew Jesus could see what was happening, and their perspective was so messed up because of what they were going through, it looked to them like it was a ghost. And the interesting thing is this. They thought they suddenly had two problems. One was the storm and the fact that their oars wouldn't reach the water. And the second is suddenly now they feel like they're going to have to fight Casper the ghost in the middle of a storm. What appeared to be so scary to them and so horrible turned out to be their solution. And there are some of you today. That are sitting here and you think if I yield my life to Jesus, if I surrender everything to him, he's going to take the joy out of my life, he's going to take the fun out of my life, it will be boring Nobody will be my friend, and you have thought that Jesus came to you as a problem. What you do not know is that he comes to you as the solution to bring life and that more abundant to you in the middle of your storm. What you have been afraid of is actually your salvation, and he will show up in the middle of your storm. Verse 27 says, Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. It is I. Don't be afraid. The things that I love about this is there's no storm that you will ever go through that Jesus cannot reach you in the middle of it. Nothing keeps him from getting to you. The very elements of nature, at its worst, could not stop Jesus from getting to the men in the time that they needed him the most. And nothing will keep Jesus from reaching you where you are. Listen, this is interesting to me. The same storm that caused the disciples to be in great fear, the same waves that caused them to lose perspective, served as the bridge for Jesus to get to them. Sometimes the things that you're going through in life that you think have isolated you and pushed you out are the very things that Jesus uses as stepping stones to get to where you are. Those things which you have worried about and been fearful of and thought would destroy you, Jesus is stepping on them as he's come walking out to you and saying, I just want you to know something. There's no need to fear this storm. Just learn from it because I'm here with you and we're going to the other side together. I will put it under my feet. I will put it under my feet. That's why he says you can count it all joy. When we are in the middle of the storm, because Christ has the ability to walk on anything that you are going through. And so he says to them, take courage. It's I. Don't be afraid. That's exactly what you say to people who are scared out of their mind. But notice this. Jesus was addressing the internal storm before he addressed the external storm. He said to them, listen, let me change your perspective from the inside on this. I'm coming out to you, and the first thing I want you to do is settle down. Regain your footing. Restore your faith. Trust in me. Be of good courage. I'm in this storm with you. I'm walking on it to you. I'm going to get in the boat with you. He did not tell them at that time that the storm would cease. He just said, I'm with you in the storm. So on the inside, they could begin to take peace. Jesus is here. Then, when they have allowed him into the boat with them, then something takes place on the outside. And sometimes God wants to fix what's wrong on the inside of us, before he changes the outside circumstances around us. He wants us to have a deeper faith and a trust and commitment in him. Our prayers almost always deal with external things. Lord, I need a better job. I need more money. I need a better relationship. I need more possessions. I need this. I need health. All the things that are external. And the Lord says, Now, the first thing I want to deal with is what's going on on the inside. He wants to hear from us that regardless of what's happening on the outside, that his people would say, I trust you. I trust you. And Jesus shows up and he gives them the word that gives them an inward peace to ride out the storm, which leads us to the third observation, that God loves us through the storms. Verses 28 and 29 said, this is Peter. I can't wait to meet him. I just can't wait to meet him. Lord... If it is you, if it is you, I'm still in the middle of perspective here. I've heard your voice. Recognize the voice. The waves are still around. Rain's beating me in the eyes. But if it is you, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. Now, I want you to make note of something, and I hope that you can underline some of this. Most people think that Peter walked on the water. What Peter walked on was the word. He did not get out of the boat until Jesus gave him the word to get out of the boat. He didn't jump out when he saw Jesus and start running to him. If he had he would have sunk because he had to wait for the instruction of the Lord to say, let me change the natural condition and so you walk on my word when you're doing supernatural. The news for us is that we need to walk in common sense. We need to make sure that we've heard from God when he asks us to do something that requires miracles or requires something that goes against nature. And so if you jump on the roof and you say, hey, God can help me to fly and you jump off the roof without him saying, I want you to jump off the roof, you will die. Not because God didn't have the power, but because you didn't have the word to come. And so... When Peter got out, it was following Jesus saying to him, come. And so he walked on the word to him. In fact, James 1, 5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all. Now, I want you to know something. Your board and the pastor, Steph, and I, the last few weeks, we have been praying, oh, God, open windows and just pour wisdom. Pour it on us, oh, God. We need your wisdom. And that's the one thing that he said he gives to us just like his grace without even measuring it. You need wisdom, I'll pour wisdom. I believe that the reason Peter walked on the water to Jesus was that at that moment in time, Peter really believed that he was safer on the water with Jesus than he was in the boat. Oh, that we would long to be so close to the Lord, that we would run to him wherever he calls us to go. And he walked on the word because he wanted to be close. Verses 29 and 30 say, Then Peter got out of the boat, and he walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Now, I want you to see this. Peter had the faith to get out of the boat. He had the faith to trust the word of God, but he didn't have the faith to sustain him in the storm. There are a lot of people that start out well walking with the Lord. They start out saying, Lord, I'm going to commit my life to you. I'm going to receive everything that you have done for me. I receive the forgiveness. I, I believe that you died for me. I'm doing, and you start out with the Lord. But the first time that difficulties come, and I want you to know, when you walk with the Lord, the enemy will not make it easy on you. Because he knows that if he can turn you away in the early stages that you will have lost the sustaining faith. That's why we need the body of believers to come around, those who are new, and tell them what to expect. Walk with them, pray for them. We did this last week. We talked about the need of community. Because when there is a little baby, it's not born and the mother puts it on the table and says, Hey, there's milk in the refrigerator, there's cereal in the closet. No, there's a growth process that takes place in this. I think that we in America probably have the highest spiritual birth death rate in the world of people that begin with the Lord but have no sustaining faith to keep with the Lord when things get difficult. And some of that is because the church doesn't walk with each other the way we should. Peter took his eyes off Jesus. His sustaining faith disappeared. And the moment that that happened, he began to sink, and Jesus came to his rescue. Luke Barnett, who pastors a church in Arizona, was telling a story that I have always laughed at because I can just picture it. He was in the mall one day, and he had a three-year-old daughter, and there was a little rail. There was a ramp that, that went up one side of the mall, and there were steps on the other. And his little girl wanted to show him what kind of balance she had. So at three years old, she steps up on that rail, and she's dancing around and spinning around. And one man began to come up the ramp. And she didn't see him, and this little three-year-old rakes her hand across there, knocks off his glasses, pokes him in the eye, and his glasses fall to the ground, and she stands there, and the man reaches over, grabs his glasses, and then immediately charges her. And he runs to this little three-year-old girl, and he begins to scream in her face, and he is yelling at her, and he is cursing at her. And, and Luke said, man, I saw him do that, and I jumped up. He says, I was about 30 feet away, and I ran over there, and I grabbed my daughter who was crying and trying to get away from him and, and held her in my arms, and he says, and in righteous indignation, I looked at the man and said, who in the world do you think you are? This was a mistake. It's a little girl. I don't ever want you to speak to my daughter this way, and quit using words like that. And he says, I just begin to really go at him. He says, I had to ask forgiveness later on, but... He says, and as I'm holding her, suddenly I see the man quit looking at me and start looking at my daughter. And so I turn to look at her, and she's going like this. (laughs) Everything changes when he gets there. And everything of our feelings change when big Jesus gets there in the middle of the storm. Romans 8, 35 through 39 in the New Living Translation states it this way. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? I love that rhetorical question. And then it begins to list things. Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Is that not the first thought that comes to us when we go through this? Why doesn't God love me anymore? I love it how the scripture just hits us right where we are. As the scripture said, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loves us. Do you see that word? It didn't say you're going to barely win. You're going to barely pull through this by the skin of your teeth. He says overwhelming victory. How many of you need overwhelming victory this morning? Because the word of God declares it to us. He didn't say, oh, you're just going to barely make it. You're going to be hanging on to a piece of the the boat, and you're going to float ashore. That's all that's going to be left. No, he said, overwhelming victory belongs to the children of God. Oh, hallelujah. I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, which is everything on earth, neither angels nor demons, which is everything in the spiritual realm, neither our fears for today or our worries for tomorrow. That is our emotional realm. That hits up all the big three for us. And then it says, not even the powers of hell, which is the direct attack of Satan. Nothing can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus' heart, Lord. Hallelujah! That's a reason to celebrate today. And then God's committed to accomplishing His purpose in your storm. If you keep your eyes on Jesus, he will always reveal in the end what the purpose was. One of the the reasons I love the fact that in Scripture it tells about those who are older in the faith to train those who are younger is because perspective is an amazing thing. People who have been around Christ for a while and who have seen him move them through the different difficulties of storms, you need to tell your testimony And share your faith with those who are in the middle of those things right now. Because they need to, number one, have an example that they're going to get through this. And number two, they're going to need to know what you learned from it. Again, building the community of the body, that we work together and love one another. and, 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 And part of that is so that the younger don't have to make the stupid mistakes some of us older people did. We can tell them, listen, this path looks good, it's not good. This looks like it's the way to go, it's not the way to go. Let me tell you what's on the other end of that trail so that I can warn you ahead of time so that God's faithfulness to you can be used through the storms that I went through in my own life. The Bible says in verse 32 that when he got into the boat, the wind ceased. Why do you think the storm ended when Jesus got into the boat? I believe it's because the storm had achieved its purpose, and when a storm has done that, it ends. When the storm has achieved its purpose in your life, it ends. Mark chapter 6, verses 51 through 52 in the Message Bible states this. They were stunned shaking their heads, wondering what was going on. They didn't understand what he had done at the supper. In other words, they didn't understand everything that he had just done when he was multiplying all of the fish and, and, and all of the bread. They didn't understand all of that. And it says none of this had yet penetrated their hearts. In other words, he gave them a test the first time that they failed, so they had to take it again in a new way. And so through the storm, Jesus was going to let them see that, number one, they're not as strong as they thought they were, and they're not as spiritual as they thought they were. And some of us have a faulty view of ourselves. So the Lord says, okay, okay, let's test you to see if you're as tough as you think you are. And the storm gave them a proper self-assessment of where they were with God, and it wasn't what they thought. Sometimes we forget what we amen on a Sunday morning service so we get tested on it on a Monday morning. There are moments when God allows our world to be rocked and life to be shaken so that we will run back to the roots of our faith. Come back to the presence of the Lord or we will grow stagnant and stale. God never wants your faith to stop. Never. And lastly, and I'm going to ask our keyboardist if she would please come. We will pass through the storm when the lesson is learned. We will pass through the storm when the lesson is learned. If you don't want to keep retaking tests of faith, learn the lesson the first time. I don't know how many of you will admit this. How many of you are hard-headed? Wow. (laughs) You're far more honest than I thought. That and we are loaded with hard-headed people in our church. I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. (laughs) How many of you have had to take a test of faith more than once? In John chapter 6, verse 21, the scripture says that when they were willing to take him into the boat, not only did the wind cease... But it says this The boat reached the shore Where they were heading Now I, I was trying to study this In the original Greek Because I, I had this image In my mind That I wanted to make sure Was right And Jesus gets into the boat The winds calm down And then John Says that they were immediately Where they were supposed to be In other words They didn't have to make The rest of the journey Jesus supernaturally Brought them to that place You've learned the test you passed it Now let's move on I've got a plan and a will for you that requires us being at the shore right now. Boom, we're there. God never leaves you without a plan and a purpose in your life. And some of you are in the middle of tests and it's really hard. And you're in the middle of struggling with things and some of you have thought, the Lord Jesus is up on the mountain and he's praying by himself and he doesn't even know what's going on in our life out here. And I don't know why he left me, but... Or why he doesn't love me. But here I am in the middle of this and I'm all by myself. And you don't even know that God, through it's a Hebrew term called his provenient grace. Which means he's digging from the mountain from the other side. is Is bringing provision to you that the moment that you begin to walk in obedience. The moment that you begin to express faith in what he wants to do. Instantly he'll get in the boat. The storm will be over and you'll be where you need to be. The lesson's learned. He doesn't punish us. He teaches us. There's a big difference because there's some people out there that think God is there with a big stick waiting to smack you. That's not the God of the Bible. And that's not the Jesus that has grace. Teaches us, moves on. I'm going to ask that you would stand with me this morning. As we have done the last couple of weeks, I'm going to ask that Our deacons and their spouses, if they are here with them today, would come and prepare to be ministers of grace and prayer with you today. I've discovered that when things aren't going so well in my life, my prayer life really ramps up. There's something about storms that cause me to be more effective and fervent in my prayer and more fervent in devotion than I am at any other time. Part of it is because I'm always looking for an answer in the Word. When things are going well, I don't look for as many answers. Now, I'm not begging God to send me trials. I'm not asking God to make me get into a boat and push me out into a storm. But I am saying that there's a sustaining faith that I believe the Church of America needs to understand. That we can't be fervent when things are tough and then as soon as they get good, back off. That there's a consistency that... The Lord is desiring each of us in our walk with God that He provides to us when He said that He guides us in all truth and understanding and His Holy Spirit leads us if we walk in the Spirit. It's a journey that He wants to make with us every day. So if, when I conclude in just a moment, if you're here and you have storms in your life that you would like somebody to pray with you about, I want you to feel free to come forward. But also, if you have found in your life that While you are in a calm time that you've discovered that you are not as fervent in your sustaining faith, then maybe it's time for you to come and just say, Lord, while things are going good, I want to refocus. I want to turn my eyes back to you. I want to ask that you would lead me and guide me. And if you're here today and you do not know Jesus as your Savior, if you've never with your own lips asked him to come into your life and that you have received what he has done for you on the cross when he washed away all the sins of the world for those that would receive him if you've never done that i want you also to find a place where you can come forward and ask one of those who are standing here can you tell me how i can get to know jesus it's the one decision that will make the determination of where you spend eternity most important decision of life what will you do with a jesus who loves you and gave himself for you father We thank you for your word and even the intricacies of it that begin to reveal things about our own hearts and lives. And as we pray and prepare to conclude this service, I ask right now that you would help those who are in the middle of storms right now begin to focus their attention on, Lord, what do I need to learn during this? What are you wanting to accomplish? Because the sooner I learn it, the sooner you get into the boat, the sooner it's over, and the sooner we move on in life to what you have. And especially for those, oh God, that are going through the same storm again and again and again because they never have gotten to a point where they will trust you. There are others here that need to hear those words today. It is I. Be of courage. Don't be afraid. And you desire that you would speak to the inside, the internal issues that's going on with the anxieties and the fears so that you can touch them and change them on the inside before you change the external circumstances. And so, Lord, every one of us stands in need of you at whatever stage of life or of faith that we are. We cannot make it without you, nor do we try to declare that we've got it all together. But we lean on you as our helper and as our friend. And so, Lord, as we begin to seek you this morning, as we humble ourselves before you, I pray that you will become the answer. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. If you feel you must go, have a marvelous day in the Lord. But if you're in need of somebody praying with you and joining with you in faith today, I'm going to ask that you would come and have somebody stand with you in this storm and let's see what God's up to. God bless you.